Another conversation in English. Today I give you a sales recruiter. Yes, it's the partner of Headlines, Alexander Hovart. And we're going to talk about sales, sales recruitment, what is an, an ideal sales, what are the characteristics you have to look out for a candidate, and what is advice you can give to the candidate himself or herself. Enjoy, Alexander. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Good morning, Alexander. Hey, good morning, Peter. I'm going to skip the part about how are you and things like that, because we had that in our pre-conversation. We're going to immediately dive to the core. Now, uh, you're one of the founders of Headlight, which is an, uh, a SaaS recruiting uh, agency organization um targeting of course uh, attracting sales SaaS sales talent for SaaS um organizations all around Europe correct eh? yeah that's correct we specifically target uh growth companies which are in a phase of uh in a very ambitious phase of uh either setting up a sales team or uh, uh scaling massively so that's our target group so Does that mean that the um, is that then the phase where there is already a VP of sales or CRO and uh, he or she is looking to expand or looking for his first seller? Um, that could be both. So uh, we we like companies that want to set up their, so they're looking for their first VP of sales. Uh, that's of course interesting. We are more in a startup mode. Uh, but then of course, when we need clients where we can, Uh, expand the sales team. It could start from the the VP of sales who is trying to find uh, his first hire. Let's say. Yeah. Now, um, like I mentioned on the phone uh, this week when we had a call, I have tremendous respect for what you and your colleagues are doing, Thanks. because um, as you are aware, I, uh, I we have also a sales team, and um, because you <laughs> took away one of our sales, um, but it's <laughs> great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, No, 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 no. You don't have to apologize. I mean, it was the right timing, is the right step, the right decision for him. So I'm very happy and grateful for 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 him. So um, now the thing is, is um, the way I, because I have tremendous respect is I expected to be very honest that it would be easier to attract new sales talent, yeah. and the reality is that it is um, very very difficult, very hard. And if I speak speak with other organizations, and they are facing similar uh, challenges, um, yeah. why is that? Is that because of the fact that there is there's, there are so many companies and there is scarcity in terms of sales that they even hire, yeah, not so great sales? Uh, why why is that? Is it because the fact that in Europe or even in Belgium sales still has a very negative? Um, And I'm talking about business-to-business -business sales here. Right? I'm not yeah, talking yeah. about the, the sales in an action or something, eh? uh, to make There's that clear. There's reasons, actually. And you already pointed one out. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, um, I guess, the pool of candidates is within SaaS sales is not that big. Uh, SaaS sales is, in general, in Belgium, not that big of a market yet, uh, unless you would, because uh, I saw it firsthand. My biggest clients six years ago were all, consultancies there were uh, project consultancies like uh, where you work um, and SaaS sales was only 20% of my business you had some companies that were 
growing in that time. Uh, everyone knew Showpad at the time or uh, Silverfin, but still uh, that market was a little bit, it was a tight knit market. So uh, in that sense, it's still seen as an upcoming market. So it's not that you can get a senior uh, with 20 plus years experience in selling SaaS per se, because 20 years ago there was software, but there were services. They were there was not a SaaS model yet. So, uh, uh, so in wait that, it, in wait, that wait, sense, wait, it's wait. still not a mature market yet. So that's uh, that's in Belgium, of course, uh, the market is, is not that mature yet. Um, mm. And the fact that um, that salespeople in a not so mature market or a market where there's not a lot of candidates. You get a lot of uh, companies that are um, trying to attract them into a small pool. So there's a small pool with lots of companies that are trying to attract them. So what you get is uh, is actually uh, sales professionals that are a little bit, um, how you say, pampered in that sense that they click open their mailbox and probably there's going to be 10 or 12 companies that are reaching out to them uh very proactively also companies like me like myself so they don't feel don't feel the urge like to do it in a traditional way as in okay i'm looking for a job i'm going to see what's out there they're more uh looking for what's coming to them so uh <clears throat> i think that's the reason but the one that you mentioned is a bit the case it's still sales is still not seen as a primary choice of career in Belgium. So it still has that negative bias, I would say. So it's still the case. I see it in some countries in the Netherlands, in the UK, it's much more um, common, I would say, to be a sales guy. Um, <clears throat> there's still that that um, that feeling that a sales guy is that sales is something that you get into, you fall into it, let's say. It's not something that you specifically choose to get into. And that's different, I think, in um, in other countries. Uh, but it's changing. It's really it's going to change massively, I guess. And uh, technology or the tech sector is going to be that is going to be the accelerator for that. So uh, it's also something that we really, really want to um, yeah want to be ambassadors for. So we're not only ambassadors for our clients. We're just ambassadors for. Um, choosing sales as a genuine career choice. Mm. The, the one of the reasons I think that um, that it still uh, has a negative perception, besides the the media and the Wolf of Wall Street stuff, yeah. is um, I have now um, I don't know how can, how do you say that hired. I mean there are two un interns starting um, yeah. in February, and they follow a. I don't know, a master in economics or something like that yeah. with a specialization in commercial management. It's something in yeah. that area. Mm? Yeah. And and um, so like normal candidates, I want to see them because mm -hmm. I want to know who they are, et cetera, et cetera, what's the drivers, their impact. Eh? Because um, I, it's internship is not just a, a playground. It's I really want to that they learn something and yeah, I want sure. to fill the, fill the grid. And the <laughs> The strange thing is that with these two people, and it, it was also with in terms of last year, I mean, they don't know the difference. In even when they study that, they don't know the difference between sales and marketing. They they, no. they all think it's product management or product marketing. Yeah. It's very strange. And when they have an, a class about sales, 
they mm -hmm. learn the pushy um just ask two questions and then pitch your stuff and yeah, um yeah. and that's very the, the modern way of selling it's, no uh, no no and and that's and so these people think uh, this is sales and this is not for me because it feels really second car sales yeah. or not like you but some recruiters also have that mentality yeah, um yeah. And and therefore they say mm, it's not for me. And then they come yeah, to us. That's, that's the idea. Though. So they have a wrong idea actually about what mm -hmm. sales actually is and what it can bring to them. So what, and I'm really also trying to educate young young potentials is that what sales can really do for your career. What are you actually learning? They're only seeing the transactional part, as in they're only seeing that repetition. As in, I don't want to be calling all day. They see themselves. Oh, I don't want to work in in call center okay but what if you look at it from a different angle what if you say that what can you learn in three years of calling executives and analysis um doing uh, business analysis on the phone doing discovery calls on what their pains are what they are thinking about every day um and just having that type of conversations day in day out that's actually those are key learnings that you're going to take with you for your entire career. Even if you decide to stop or quit in sales after two years or three years, the type of information that you get, the way that you learn to communicate with people from other levels and with more maturity in business and the stuff you learn is just tremendously, uh, but they never see it that way. Or it's hard to see it for a young potential to see it uh, that way. They see it as something, yeah, but okay, I did a master, so why do I have to go in sales? Because I did a master. Sales is not something that someone with a master degree would, would do, right? So it's it's weird that they, they feel about it that way, but it's still the case. So <clears throat> they're not really educated, I think, on the, the different topics yet. Um, and it could be a great idea that people, uh, the guys from you sites, uh, you guys with these type of podcast, your ambassadors for just the the uh the job as is just or yeah. the career in sales so and we have to really try to emphasize that it's really uh because sales is also changing uh, to a more yeah you can it's to more of a science let's say um because it's getting harder to sell uh it just makes it more interesting uh, for me that's my personal opinion but it just makes it uh more more interesting and people should should start knowing this uh, but it's good that some of the high schools are really getting to teaching them because i uh, i'm seeing some kind of some courses that people take that are really pointed towards sales and marketing i can remember 20 years ago that didn't exist at all uh, so yeah me, me, me neither me neither everyone was going into either uh, a big four or going to banks but now they're going to into tech sales so that's yeah. a pretty cool evolution to see yeah. but it still has yeah, it still needs to come. So the, the volume of people is still uh, still coming in and then it's going to be a different story, hopefully. The um, sale, sales is becoming more and more a science. Is that so? Hmm. A science in that way that you that you already know that you're a buyer also. Yeah, it's, it's not sales. It's not about um, build, in that sense, building relations is getting less important in the in the uh, in the field of work um, because your buyer already knows tons of tons of stuff about you so you really need to get 
you and you need to more, know more about your buyer. You don't have the time anymore to really get to know your buyer. It's like you can have two or three dinners with him and then like, oh, okay, now I really know what's going on. No, no, you have to really get dive into uh, the data that, and the information that's already out there um, and collect that and start talking to your client uh, with a lot of background information, which is always, which is now there for everyone to, to know, but that wasn't the case back in the day, of course. But you, you, you mean um, so that's that uh, you, changing. You, if, if I understand correctly, you, you mean that um, a relationship is still important, but it needs to be founded based on uh, knowledge and providing value. I mean, and not yeah. by drinking beers and just being a nice guy. No, so, so this, that's the case. And it used to be the case because I, I want to buy from you because you're uh, because I like you. Uh, and in still in some types of industries that that is that is the case. So the the wine and dine sales guy who just has the, the black book, the address book uh, and just goes from company to company because, yeah, I can get uh, which company I get into. I can use my address book and just get into these companies. I don't think that really works anymore, or that's going to be, I that's going to be a dying breed. Um, also, something that's related to it is, of course, the digitalization of the sales process. Um, you get in. You used to drive to to Brussels or to Ghent, and it took you an hour to drive there. People would welcome you, you get a coffee and you took your time to get to know each other. Maybe also more on a personal level because, ah, okay, this person really took the time to, to get here. So um, it gets a little bit more personal. Now you have, okay, now you have 30 minutes to do it and we're going to do it on a video call. Are you really going to remember me as a person? I don't think so. So in, not in that 30 minute call, it's going to be about, okay, how can you provide value for me? And let's start from there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's also the reason why I think the, the game is changing a lot. Now, um, how how can you? I mean, is there one type of sales just that exists? No, not even closely. There's so many, so many uh, differences, and you can't just say, okay, this is a good sales or a bad sales. It doesn't matter. It Uh, what people would, would see as a bad salesperson could easily be a good salesperson for another type of company. It all has to so many difference in differences in sales dynamics in, in the context where you work, the colleagues you work with um, could be a great fit for someone, but a bad fit for someone else. Um, also really depending on like the 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 They used to say like a good sales, you can you can sell anything. It's just a way of if saying that this person is really convincing. That's it. That really doesn't mean that that person can really sell anything, because that wouldn't be the case actually if you were to try it. So, no, I, I fully agree. I cannot sell everything. The only thing that I can sell it if I really believe in it and I'm passionate about it. I mean, yeah. I'm interested about it, but all the rest I don't care. Now no. I then I then have three questions of course. First of all is how can a seller be self-aware what environment, culture, company 
is fitting in that he or she can be yeah, a high performer. The same applies for how can a, a sales exec, uh, the, the, the VP sales or the CRO, uh, spot that talent. And of course, very important from the in, in your shoes, how can you as a recruiter, how do you do that then? Let's start with that. Let's start with yep. you. How can you spot? Um, because again, I've, I've done it myself uh, now a, a lot. And it's, uh, it's based on, um, of course, asking questions. Yeah. Um, but not a typical question, sometimes difficult questions, role-playing, a use case, yeah. um, also applying the sales team and yeah. some other members of the organization who are not in sales. And, uh, and based on that input, I'm going to, and also my intuition. Yeah. That's a very important one. And the combination of that is going to, I'm going to make a decision, yes or not. No. Yeah. So the, the, actually the first thing that you need to do if you are a VP sales and you were to hire is to exactly know your organization, your sales dynamic, what's the best way to sell in your organization, in your team, in your company? What are some of the characteristics that you need to talk to the buyers that you sell to, um, the your, yeah, your colleagues, or just the dynamics of the sales process, the length of it, the, the uh, amount of people or actors that you need to convince. You need to get that straight first and that you analyze it. And then on that base, you still need someone to, you want to be um, focusing on someone that is closely related to those sales dynamics, because that is the best way to predict if that person can also sell in that context. So we have to look at the, um, the type of process that they're used to. Is it, do they have to talk to procurement do they have to talk to a cfo do they have to talk to a ceo if someone has to talk to ceos does that person um, have a background in just the generic economic background can they relate to what a ceo is uh for, for what he's laying awake at night for instance so it's not then it's not talking about your product it's talking about business in general so um you really get to, you need to get down to that getting that context and those specifics first before you start your search um and then you can the best way of course is just to look at a background which is pretty similar which is also still the best uh predictor of success um but that's of course that's easy what you always what i also suggest to do is try to look for people where you actually know that getting them into your company would be a slight step up not per se a huge step up but a slight uh, um, a little way up for them which can mean okay you're going to sell to buyers that maybe are a little bit more complex but you're still used to something that is related but it's going to be maybe a little bit more complex but it will challenge you that could be a challenge for that specific salesperson um, or for instance, they're looking for a different kind of role. They're used to a specific kind of role, but here you can have a little bit more. So these people are usually motivated more because you need those, the ones who see it as, okay, my learning curve is going to go up again there when I move to this company. So you need to start looking for specific kind of patterns actually in these, uh, with these people in this, in this background, let's say. 
Um, one of the questions you asked was, um, how do you, how, how do you, how do you, how do you spot great talents? And if it matches, because you have to do the two way, eh? you have to yeah. know the characteristic of that person, the drivers, and also the characteristics of that company based on the input of, um, maybe one or two persons, but sometimes it doesn't reflect the, the reality or they don't know. I yeah. assume like, that's true. I think a, a good salesperson, in my opinion, uh, is someone who can who is aware of what context fits them best. So if they're selling to SMEs and they're selling small ticket sizes um, and they want to grow to they, they tell me, OK, Alexander, I want to go into enterprise selling. Okay, then I, I, I'm going to challenge them on certain topics that I know that are going to be different in selling to SMEs. Um, and I need those people to know that what's the difference in selling because they're only thinking about, ah, it's going to give me more. I don't know. They're going to, th they think it's their way up. It's, it's, uh, and, but usually they not, they don't think about, okay, but it's all the process moves slower. There's a lot more people going to be involved. Uh, you need to know your contracts. Uh, you need to know more about the client's business. It's not just having cool companies on your portfolio. So it's not just about that. So I need those people to really, first of all, know that, uh, what's going to happen when they change and what that change, uh, um, includes. Um, and it's, it's still very unclear. Un it's, it's a big gray zone also. So you're telling me, how can you spot that? I can't spot that on a resume. It only gives me a certain prediction that this might be the case or this person might be a good fit. But the hard part about sales recruitment that makes it hard is that you have to talk to people day in, day out, because you will never know. You can never assume something on paper. You see people with a great resume and you have the idea that, okay, on paper, it looks great. When you talk to them, you get zero energy or you don't have the right mindset. You don't, um, you don't see, feel that this person has the right commercial reflexes. So it's really, um, that's the hard thing about sales recruitment is that combination of first you have to get, get that great resume, that great track record, uh, that gives you a prediction and but don't only then it starts. And then you have to talk to tens, 20, uh, hundreds of thousands of people to really get that one that you say, okay, this one has both. He has the right mindset. He has, this is, there's growth potential in this person. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that is where lots of people run into when they try to do it on their own. It's like, okay, I'm going to recruit some salespeople. I'm just going to write some, because I know he has a great track. So I'm going to write him a message. And I, if I write to. Uh, 20 people and there's someone uh, coming out there. It just doesn't work that way. There's so many things that are um, at play there. So, um, and uh, what are, what are, what are, what are typical, I wouldn't call it red flags, but attention points, for instance, for me, when I see a resume, because I fully agree, eh? um, if I see a person who had like six jobs and it all has been one year and one month or even less than one year, for me, that's typically an indication or that person is in uh, inside a search of his self. Yeah. He doesn't know, she yeah. doesn't know what, 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 what his talents are and skills are and the right yeah. environment. And or um, 
that they have worked for that company and that company said goodbye. Yeah, true. Uh, it can be both. So it's still, uh, you can't really make assumptions what yeah. I used to do. Um, but it could easily be the case that this person is really finding out which type of context that suit him best. So there's really people that really are trying to find out and immediately realize, okay, this is kind of sales dynamics I'm not looking for. I'm looking for something else. And they realize, okay, I need to get out of this type of context because it doesn't suit me. So if they're in that search, that could still be a good thing. Uh, but you still have to realize that um, I think for in SaaS selling, you need at least two years to see if you can really build a success. So for me, <clears throat> it could be an indicator that um, people are, n are not reaching their success and then they just leave or quit before the boat is sinking, let's say. Uh, mm. So I would rather see two years, two years, two years. For me, that's okay. I would never be judgmental about leaving in two years, but it's still the average, uh, the average um, sales only lasts a year and seven months. So that's a statistic you have to take in, 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 into a year and seven months. But what that usually also means is that just salespeople are in general, they have a very repetitive job. If they sell one product, it also just means that after two years selling the same product, doing the same thing all over again, if there's nothing in that organization with a bigger vision that is keeping them motivated, that's also a reason people start changing positions. Um, because you're only motivated on short term to sell a cool product, uh, get, uh, get your commission. Um, it's, there has to be some higher level of motivation. That's usually a good CEO who has a vision for a company, like a more grand vision that you can also sell to, to clients that you have to, that's inside your head and that's keeping you going for, uh, yeah, people that are selling the same product for five to six years there's there's also something to say about that either is there either they're too comfortable in that position and they're seeing it as a job and they're just ticking out nine to five and it's like okay this is okay for me i can sell this without any hesitation my commission comes in uh, it's either that or it's really a, some kind of great company that is yeah building a great culture and having this grand vision that makes people uh, want to stay yeah but it's also the responsibility of the sales exec to 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 see where that salesperson is where that he or she wants to go and to make sure that that person gets enough challenges yeah. in order to experiment and grow for instance i have one person in, in a team he was working there for six years so yeah. started as a cold caller and then he i gave him um really um working on very big uh, accounts which he yeah. was very afraid of doing he's yeah. doing great and now i'm giving an assignment to coach also the very young people in order so he can grow because yeah. it's it's correct correct what you're saying even myself after one year when i found out the trickery how that it works and that i can repeat that trick in order to be successful i get annoyed because i like yeah. the building part so if i yeah. don't have anything new i quit yeah so for me, it's typically around two years to four years. And yeah. after that, um, but sometimes there are situations, yeah, like having a baby, yeah, you know, that situation. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and having great colleagues and 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 also the world which is changing rapidly in some industries i mean you start with some product or service and four years later it's completely shifted yeah, yeah. to something completely else yeah and that's a cool thing about that's why you would like to work with growth companies because they're also they're just um salespeople that are working in growth companies they're really they're working on personal growth themselves because they have to adapt to these ambitions of that company. They just can't, they can't be uh, the same person uh, that went into the company and if the company has grown tremendously in, in, uh, in four to five years, they really have to grow with it themselves. So they have to challenge themselves. That's why I really like working for growth companies. And I would emphasize every, I, I would like to, uh, yeah, challenge every sales professional to once in their career or twice in their career to really work at a growth uh, company. Uh, yeah. It's really different to work uh, at a company that's really pushing things uh, forward. Uh, and because you're actually the driving force behind it, sales is really the, the engine. Uh, but say, for instance, you have a career at big companies like SD Works, for instance, you know, they're at the top of their game. And everyone knows them. And it's really about defending that number one or number two position more than really to grow. But it's mm -hmm. different, totally different to be a sales guy or a sales girl in that kind of environment. Uh, I'm not saying there's good or bad, but still, I think once in your career, it could be, yeah, it could be a great way for professional personal growth to, to, um, to be in that kind of context. That, that's why that's a very interesting topic you're mentioning. That's why I'm very um, cautious about the fact when people are mentioning like targets and results in their CVs, it doesn't say a lot to me because I worked from in startup from the ground up. So no, no customers to like an IBM. And I call that surfing the wave. Sometimes yeah, yeah. You, you're working at the right industry, the right product, the right company, the right price in a buyer's market where they're going to buy your product. And yeah. like in, in 2000, the, the phones were ringing. I need a PC. I need a server. But that completely yeah. changed to a seller's market. And um, I'm looking for that grit, that, that um, how do you call that, that mental um, elasticity. Maybe that's the, the wrong word. But where you um, have the capacity mentally to um, cope with, with rejection and to, yeah. with, with, with failure. Because yeah. I've worked in some situations where we did not, that, that I had to, uh, failed six times so I had to lose six times to yeah, get yeah. it right the seventh time and to find this is the positioning this is the way this yeah, is the, yeah. the, the the right person to talk to um, to to and I like that process the, the only yeah, thing is is that it takes time and it's it's it, it takes a lot of mental capacity because it's yeah it's frustrating of course yeah it's tremendously and it's and it's uh, something I challenge all the candidates I work with in have they been in those t types of situations where you, yeah, you, you go below zero and you need to reinvent yourself or something or the company where you work has to reinvent themselves. Uh, cause that really builds a lot of, uh, resilience also. And, uh, that just tells you something about that person. If they can stay in that sort of environment, um, four years, uh, working as an account executive at, at SAP. And I'm saying, okay, I hit my targets plus 100% every, every every year. Then you have a candidate who 
has been working four years in a startup that started from zero from scratch. No one knows the product. No, uh, no one needs the product yet. Uh, there's zero clients and he hits 100% every year of four years. Those are two very different persons that are very different kind of trajectory that other person will be much more mature and conscious. So, um, so it tells you actually nothing. That's the hard part about sales recruitment. What are you gonna, if you're a, a hiring manager, you just tell me, okay, I need someone with four years of experience, at least selling this type of software. Okay. That's cool. Both of them has as the same experience, but they're two different people probably. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I experienced the that. cool thing about it. You just, yeah, it's just, just every time you talk to someone, you could be making assumptions, but then you meet someone very rare. And then, yeah, that gives you a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah, because I have the feeling that I oh. see that also with us that uh, I'm going to generalize that lots of people are looking for, I don't know if it's a, a correct term in English, but the white raves, that white rabbit with yeah. big ears and a fluffy tail yeah. and uh, and they're waiting for that person. And I come to the Don't conclusion wait. that you have to look and spot if a, po a certain potential is in that candidate sitting in front of you. And are you able yourself and the environment to get that potential out of the candidate? Otherwise, maybe you can wait very long or pay lots of money. Yeah, that's true. Don't uh, first thing, don't wait because you can be waiting for centuries. So when doesn't, it doesn't add up to what you're losing. So this, uh, that there's a giant opportunity cost. And that's the correct term. Um, when you have to wait for that person and why you're, you have to ask yourself, why do I need that white Raven? That actually means that something is wrong in your organization that you're missing out, uh, probably that you have to that, that you're so in need of that person that means that person needs to know lots of stuff at the same time and that's probably telling you something about that something that's missing in your organization try to just um i'm going to give you the example when i started everyone was looking for technical sales because i used to work with a lot of more really it it related uh, companies and they always said, I need someone who is both technical and both sales. And I was asking the first thing, okay, why do you need someone technical? You're an IT company. I don't understand it. You need a salesperson, right? What's the end result that you want? You want revenue? Okay, then you need a salesperson. You have technical people? Yeah. Okay. So why are you so unsure that you don't have the right technical knowledge that you need a sales that, that knows both? So that means just there's something wrong in your process or how, how you're organized, I guess. Uh, is, so, is, uh, is, is, isn't that because the fact that, um, and that's an assumption, eh? because I, yeah. I, it's, it, looks, it sounds very familiar, is that the management, the founders, the CEO, whatever, is also a techie or used to be a techie. And they yeah. take the assumption that in order to sell their technical stuff, they need a technical person talking to technical people to sell that. The only yeah. thing that they're missing out is that the fact that a salesperson is going to translate that techie stuff as a yeah. means to reach a goal in, in value uh, for that person um, who is in sitting in front of him or her. Yeah, sure. And, and, and it's not about, 
and I, I experienced myself, it's not having the best technical product with the best technical features and um, and whistles and bells that the, that your prospect is going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, it doesn't matter. No, really, because, yeah, that's true what you say. That's usually the case for people that are asking that are usually also technical. Uh, so uh, because they, they think that what is selling are the features or the product itself uh, mostly. Could be the case, of course, but it's, yeah, uh, the salesperson knows that this problem is not the case. So what yeah. you're selling is you're selling the value proposition, what you're solving, you're not selling the features. Uh, that's not what a CEO really, if you're selling to a CEO, that's not really what he's looking for. He's not really interested in those technical features. He just wants to know that, can this solve my problem? And are you going to, uh, yeah, get me more time, more money? So, yeah. Do you, um, you, you've been doing this for six years um, and I see a lot and I feel lots of passion mm -hmm. uh, from you and your team. Um, you just mentioned like 10 minutes ago that one of the, the lessons you learned is that you used to take, and me, myself, by the way, also, uh, lots of assumptions uh, when meeting somebody based on resume and things like that. Is that for you the biggest lesson that you learned in the the last six years if you would redo it again and meet alexander of six years ago what kind of advice lessons would you give yourself if you could redo the thing it is again? i actually need those assumptions um because um look i can trust some of my assumptions because of the because i've been doing it for such a long time but the first thing i tell people that are coming in i see please look at it through a positive uh glasses to everyone don't make assumptions because um not everything is what it seems it's not because what you heard, what you hear and what you see always ask why always ask the reason always challenge or qualify on the phone or in person or on screening and you need to know really what's behind it so why are people saying things and that's one of my key learnings just in recruitment in general is that People are saying things for a reason. You need to know the reason behind it. And that's what's going to make you a lot, lot better in this situation. And I just ask why? And that's a question I didn't ask when I was a young recruiter. I never asked it. Now I keep telling why and I ask five whys to my client, five whys to my candidate. And suddenly they're telling the real story. They're telling what they really think. They're telling what they really know. And that's, that's one of the, I, that's a key learning, I would say, just as in this business that you need to know why are people saying something? What's the real reason? What are the drivers behind it? And then you get, yeah, then you really get to it. Uh, you will, uh, that's something you can never, you can never get out of a resume. You need to know mm -hmm. why people made uh, certain decisions in their life to give you a predictor of what's going to happen or how successful or how much of a fit this person can be. The, um, you're working in a, on the European level. I assume there are cultural differences uh, between uh, salespeople and, and also the way companies are recruiting, having yeah. sales. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, we, we touched this topic in the beginning. It's still in Belgium. It's, it still has that, yeah, that negative bias. And in other countries, I don't see this negative bias per se. Um, and the way they, um, I see people in the UK are 
much more uh, like service oriented. They're much more, I would say they have these sales reflexes, I would say. So you can see it in working with hiring managers as well. They have like these commercial reflexes, even if they're not sales profiles themselves. And I still see those kind of reflexes that I don't see. Um, I didn't see less working in, in Belgium and Netherlands, of course. Yeah, I think you have and we have a general idea also about how uh, Dutch people work. Um, I, this was a quote from one of my uh, when we we started first targeting the, the Netherlands and we had first uh, uh, Dutch clients. They say, oh, you don't have to look for salespeople in, in, uh, in the Netherlands because in the Netherlands, everyone can do sales. It's different than Belgians, he said. And it, it's kind of true. It's of course, and an, it's an over a over dramatic, uh, over dramatization, of course, but it just meant that people in general in Holland or in the Netherlands, uh, they have more, more commercial reflexes. Um, and then France is a totally different, <laughs> totally different vibe, uh, I would say, uh, but it's just in general, the way they, um, they're much more direct. Um, but, uh, there's still a bunch of rules, I would say in France, they're more on the old school side of things. Uh, but it's even in the South of Belgium as well, uh, to, uh, to sell different kind of, uh, sellers still, but, um, yeah, definitely it's, but it's, it's, it's fun actually to work with because it did now a couple of international placements last month with people from, uh, yeah, selling to MAR or selling to Spain or, uh, selling to the U S. Um, I think people that international people that live here in Belgium, they, they have a different vibe. They, um, I think they have these yeah bigger ambitions uh and maybe they're more set on getting that career because they're not really living in their home territory or something uh they they need to prove themselves um we hired uh, uh someone from uh from colombia who's living in antwerp right now uh working here and uh now we have another uh colleague from uh, greece she's half uh british half greek and yeah, I would say a lot of positive things, I would say in the hiring an international crowd as well. So more and more, we're also trying to emphasize or getting into our ICP is actually a, uh, a SaaS company that sells internationally and that looks beyond borders in hiring also. Uh, so I think we have to stop uh, complaining about a war for talent. If, if we have all these opportunities in working remote and getting also people that just that can speak English. It's not mandatory to really ask yourself, why does this person per se have to speak Dutch or French? Is it really to just, yeah, have lunch with him and then to see that we don't have to speak English during lunch or no. is it, you know, uh, we really have to try to, yeah, start, start asking ourselves and we have this great person. Is it because there's a different nationality that we're not going to hire them? That's yeah. No, no. I think I think the biggest difference I think there because I had um, a VP of sales who was born in Colombia, who lived in Amsterdam and Rotterdam for a while, then in Kuala Lumpur, and then moved yeah. to Mexico for another startup. And uh, she's a woman, by the way. Yeah. And the biggest difference there, and that's also something that I had in the beginning of my career, is that we we Flemish people are 
limiting ourselves and the way we think about the world and yeah, the way we definitely. can we the the biggest thing that i had to overcome uh was my there was second company in 2000 which was a startup the, the term in belgium did not exist yet then um yeah. but it was a tech startup and um i had a big discussion with the ceo founder and uh right. he was like uh, peter we're going to conquer the world and blah 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 yeah. and he was going to sell his company to to um to to veritas at the time there was a major software vendor yeah. and um and he came back no, it was to NetApp, uh, which was a uh, storage yep. vendor. And he came back and he and he smiled at me. He said, "It it it didn't it didn't happen." And I asked him why. Uh they thought we it's Belgian technology and it's a Lero to house P. And I said to him, "Look, I'm right." And he said, "No, you're not right. We was just the first attempt." Then yep. six year six months later, so what he did, he opened an office in the US. He yep. put an old gray uh, guy in it, called him CEO. Yeah. And then he did the whole thing again with Veritas. Yeah. And two, two months later, the company was sold. And yeah. that was the biggest lesson that I learned is think big. And that, yeah. that, and that's bringing in that international people is yeah. get, that, then you will get that mentality besides yeah, yeah. having those that under the, the church really mentality. That, those are ones yeah. that open up your eyes. So it was so, so weird because I had the first hire that I did was international and I met her and it was like, okay, I thought it was going to be like a big step for something, but actually the step is not that big. And I think as soon as people were coming in here with an international mindset, my mind opened more as well. Mm. I always wanted an international company so it's, as a big ambition of mine, but still I have these limiting beliefs that are just, mm -hmm. I don't know, they're embedded into our brain. Uh, I'm not, I'm talking about myself. It's, I, I think it's, it's a limiting belief. It's, um, it's even uh, at our uh, at our football team, the Red Devils. They have limiting beliefs that they're not on the world stage yet. Uh, that's why I think that's a reason that they're not going to win the World Cup, for instance. No. Yeah. Uh, if you don't think that you can, that you are at that stage, then or you shouldn't be at that stage, then you're not going to be on that stage. No. And so now you're talking about what I personally believe that that what you're now talking about the limiting beliefs is that uh, that's really in the space of personal growth, yeah. which is an area I find complete bullshit like 15 years or 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, whereas la the last 10 years, I mean, yeah, the podcast is also all about that. Sure. And um, I mean, one of the things that, that I also had was like, um, I worked, um, I did one of the first um, projects with Amazon Web Services in Belgium. Eh? Yeah. People are like, no, we're never going to put our, our stuff on there. And and yeah. the thing that, that struck me there was that the AWS is based, now they are in Brussels, but they they didn't have an office in Belgium. And they had an office in Luxembourg. Yeah. And they were hiring French people and, and German people uh, or Luxembourg people who um, worked and lived there. And yeah. they had to target the Belgian market. And I'm like, yeah. how in the hell are you going to do that? Yeah. And it did, they did. And it was so much fun working with them because I also, I had these limiting beliefs about who is a French person because I had really negative uh, experiences with par par people from Paris yeah, and corporate yeah. worlds. It's a very different island, but it does not mean that everybody's like that. And everybody no. in France is, is an asshole. True. They yeah, are yeah. very yeah. kind people. And I still have a contact, uh, a connection with them 
So and and it was yeah we're going to to target um, this and this company but you don't speak Dutch it doesn't matter and and then I was like myself seeing in the mirror and like shit I have this limiting belief yeah true am yeah. I holding myself back and yeah. so for me also in coaching salespeople it's about that it's it's even it starts with money yeah. I mean when they say that's a lot of money yeah. is that so yeah. because I see a lot of sellers that they are selling stuff like I don't know eh? it's it's I don't know deals of 5k and yeah. suddenly they have to sell deals of 1 million euros and they're yeah. not able to to do that and it's it is a result of their limiting belief yeah. that, that they think it's something a... that's worth a million yeah yeah yeah, it's, and they would say it as an excuse or why are you not selling or a good it's a yeah we we have an expensive product is it okay no but that's not a reason why you're not successful because uh, i don't believe that that's because you don't think it's because you don't think that it has that value and that's why you're not selling it's because you're not believing that it's a good price so mm. uh so two different things yeah well, um, it's uh, something that really uh, that would help tremendously for sales professionals as well too, um, and that's why we always um, yeah, advise sales professionals in general that they are the ones that uh, are into yeah developing or trying to work on personal growth because it also it will come will, will let you know overcome rejections and not taking things personally. Um, it will just in general help you to communicate better with any type of buyer, any type of people to understand every situation. It's just, yeah, it gets you into a more mature level in general, and it will help you tremendously to become yeah. more successful. Yeah. So it's not just for entrepreneurs, it's, it's, it's for everyone. But And that's, that's for me, the very important thing, the correct characteristics that I'm looking for coachability and adaptability. It's great to create, yeah. to, to receive feedback and, and don't go into in defense mode, no. but also are you going to execute and act upon that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, um, for instance, I, the example here at Headlight is that we're going through different phases. We're always the ones who are going to feel the economics or the, uh, the, the vibes or in the, the economic waves. We're feeling that first. Why? Because difference in economic waves are always uh, have to do with uh, recruiting or hiring people, hiring freezes, hiring a lot of people. Uh, we're consultants. So consultancy first kind of service that you say, okay, we're not going to spend money. What's the first thing you say? Ah, too expensive consultants. Let's skip it and do it ourselves. So we're the first one that are sensing this. Um, and I noticed already some people that started here uh, at Headlight during Corona, when 75% of my business just went belly up, um, they suddenly had to adapt to a totally different situation. And then it was, yeah, pure play. Let's say the, the last two years, there was money throwing around everywhere. So it was great. But now you feel also a different kind of situation that is coming up. Um, should we call it a recession? It will probably will. But that doesn't really mean that just means that you have to adapt as a company uh, and you have to adapt yourself as a sales professional. Okay, what do clients need today? Or what do we need to do to make sure they're still comfortable in buying from us? Do we need to lower our prices? Why? It's not because it's a recession that we need to lower our price. You need to 
emphasize on something else that's adaptability and it's really what we're yeah we have to that's something that you really need in your sales team always yeah yeah that's true and this this is also the thing that sometimes i don't know if if that happens to you i assume yes is that some candidates are like am i going to get lots of training and i'm like you will receive training but very importantly is that um that you will take ownership and leadership of your own development. I mean, yeah. there are, there are, I, I, yeah, I'm an avid reader. This is one of the reasons uh, I started the podcast because lots of authors give me books because I like to read and then I hand them out. And, and for instance, some great books I give to the sales team, Yeah, but it's, it's not me that are going to push you no, to no, no. Re- read, read that book or to post that, that post on LinkedIn. Yeah. To, to cr- create your own network, I'm giving to you, um, I'm coaching you, but it's like fitness, you will have to do the, the benches and the trenches, eh? you have worked out uh, this week, yeah, yeah. and uh, so um, you have to take care of your own development also yourself, so yeah. this means buying books, um, podcasts, YouTube videos, and so don't put the power of learning outside yeah. of yourself and yeah. waiting for the because in exactly. all the companies that i've worked for is it like an ibm or mid-tier companies like trend micro or veritas semantic or startups i mean yes there is education and there is training and and things like that but to be very fair it was really when i decided for myself that i am curious and that i wanted to learn and rethink the whole way of what i thought what was selling that it really started to drip in and 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 do something with it. All yeah, the rest was really, yeah, I heard that and then it goes away and it doesn't stick. Or what sticks is like a couple of percent. Yeah, um, um, that's it's good to that you mentioned that because it's really you, we get that question a lot. Is there training? But if we see that this person really needs training because they're so actually that insecure and they. They're trying to put everything on that. If I if I get trained well, then I will become well. That that's not the mindset you're looking for. It's good that you say, okay, I want to I want to come into uh, uh, into a place where there's great coaching and there's great mentorship. But it's not gonna that you're getting a course for six months and then after you get ah, now you're gonna be a good seller. So it just just doesn't work that way. You. Uh, you were also on the yeah you did the we are sales conference you were there and the the, the people from gong uh they mentioned some statistics about training you remember uh that it just doesn't last if you give a uh just an, a, an old school training uh with the screen and you tell them just some of the, uh, the, the 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 dynamics about sales how long does it last it's really about more about coaching on the job it's yeah. uh it's mentoring you can do i would do this in this situation a combination of both that will get you into a certain place but then it will only get you from zero to one but then yeah. that one to ten it's actually entirely up to to the sales professional uh to to make that happen uh it's mm-hmm. really on a day-to-day and uh i always tell people it's to get to quality you need quantity first because you will not realize what quantity is unless you put in the quantity so in the beginning it's just getting through all of the quantity and trusting the process that you will actually get to uh, a quality level um every conversation is 
a way to learn. You get from every tiny conversation and you multiply it by 10,000. Then certainly, when you, without even realizing, I think every salesperson has this uh, in, within his career, you suddenly, you suddenly see yourself and it's like, wow, I'm actually doing this and it's, it feels supernatural and I'm just hitting those numbers and it feels natural, but it's just due to all of the the stuff that you've been doing in the past and suddenly it and suddenly you're all, you're there so it's yeah. uh, it's not something that happens just overnight yeah no, that's it it doesn't happen overnight night no, no. and i i tend to believe that a lot of young sellers are looking for the silver bullet the yeah. the overnight success also due to this these sales automation uh things but one comment i want to add to the things you just mentioned is that uh, i say to sellers and some, some even CEOs, they look at me and they're like, what the hell are you saying? I say, I say a quote of Jim Rohn, and I really believe that. Yeah. Work harder on yourself than on your job. Because if you're just doing your job, you, go, you, you will stay stupid. I mean, if you work harder on yourself, you will get better at things. Yeah. And then your job will get better. So yeah. if that means yeah. you have one hour in a week that you're taking the time to, to read and to listen to podcasts and YouTube videos during working hours... It's totally fine for me. Do it, yeah. but be yeah. educated and take that responsibility well, or just stay the same. Yeah, sure. Because that means you will not be adapting. Because what we mentioned in, uh, before, you will not be able to adapt to other situations and you will become, um, I don't know, indispensable. I would say it's, it's yeah. a harsh word, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's, that's the one thing that I would, like for instance, for what I would wish on my kids, or I would say to them on how to become successful is to be adaptable to yeah. uh, that's the, the prim and it's a primary thing I, to, uh, and being adaptable means getting knowledge and uh, getting knowledge in talking to people, yeah. uh, exploring things and uh, yeah. But, but the, the also the, the last thing you mentioned was that uh, uh, you're doing lots of things. It's not overnight. I fully agree. And then it becomes supernatural. That's true. And then you are there. Yeah. I think that's also just also the trap. If you think you are there, yeah. I see lots of salespeople sure. doing the same circus trick 10 years after itself, but the market is changing, yeah. the product is changing and, and they're doing the same trick. And I'm like, I mean, come on. So I tend to use, I tend to think more like I know stuff. And at the same time, I, I know that I don't know it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm open. I'm like, right now, for instance, is that uh, every seller for me, they have to do public speaking, video, speaking on video. And so I give them assignments. So, and yeah. I push them really far and like, Peter, yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but that's not part of sales job. Believe me, it is. So yeah, in order that, to grow. It's yeah. going to become this or, uh, yeah, like everyone as to uh, yet you're making them ready for the next generation of sales for instance uh, let's say uh because you know that's going to be important uh yeah. knowing stuff about marketing it's a salesperson right now if you don't yeah. know anything about marketing then you are not a modern seller that's just um if you not be able to tell stories if you're not be able to yeah, write a little bit of good copy, then you're not really uh, adapting yourself to modern ways of selling. So that's just really uh, something that we, yeah, 
as hiring manager, you need to make sure that you're hiring people that are really aware of those types of things as well. Sales is not, sales is, uh, has, has so many uh, levels. It's not just becoming a good sales professional that will make you better. It's knowing more about business, it's knowing more about marketing, it's knowing more about the world. Uh, yeah, definitely. Now, uh, last question, um, yeah. and it's maybe the most difficult one of all. <laughs> I mean, sales has a bad reputation. Yeah. But to be quite open and honest, Alexander, I mean, the type of mails that I receive from recruiters, not from you, because you do it in a good way, and also Steph, um, because I've known you for years now, especially Steph, I, yeah. I, I can recall, is that, um, I mean, also recruiters, the sales recruiters, um, or like recruiters in general, have also a little bit of bad rap about those mails. Uh, this is the package, this is for you. How... How do you look to that? I mean, is it going to be some kind of wipeout of the of the bad uh, cowboys, and only the good ones are going to uh, left behind? How do you? What's your take on that? Because I also assume that you also have to deal with that negative assumption of perception. Yeah, sure. It's always actually. I always. Uh, it takes it takes a while to get through it. So um, and there's still always going to be people that you meet that have that level but it's something that you can get through pretty easily as well so it's it doesn't take a lot of effort to that's a good thing it doesn't take a lot of effort to be better than uh what uh, other people are doing um but i think the, the main i have a very specific opinion on it and what i've learned is that and some people will not like this opinion by the way um it has to do to the fact that clients Recruitment is something is that is very necessary. It's something that's always been there. Is business crucial? If a position doesn't get filled, then they have a problem. So they can't trust on one client. If one client or one recruitment agency can't fill it, they have to be able to drop them in a second and go to someone else because that position has to be filled. They don't have that luxury to not getting that position filled. So it to get those people out of the market, it really is up to the clients as well to start making better choices in choosing agencies. Because the thing is, if these agencies can only last if people are working with them. So it starts, in my opinion, it starts with the companies first, do your due diligence in hiring agencies. Um, and due diligence, you, you have to be able Agencies are have to be able to show you statistics and records and references on how they do things, how they've done it in the past and why they have been successful and what their what is their success ratio, their filling ratio on these types of vacancies or this specific uh, companies. Uh, but if you're um, trusting someone very quickly on a personal level, just because I had a five minute chat and I tell you, I have got these great candidates I can send you. And by the way, I'm going to do it for free. If you let these people in, you say, okay, I'm that desperate because I really need those things. It is you, you're actually opening up for those people to start coming in because they will think, Hey, I want to get one or two uh, candidates in. And then we already made our quarter. So uh, it's fine and we can still exist and we can still do business. So it's, it really it has to start with clients as well but moments like these going into a recession are usually the best times for companies like me because 
will will be able to filter out the bad stuff because they won't be able to get in anymore because you really need now you need that um yeah you have been building rapport and people are going to be more um selective in yeah. choosing what agency they want to work with so it's yeah. these types of times that could be good for people yeah to push some agencies out of course that don't do their job very well uh, but they will remain on on the market because of the specifics of a no cure no pay market um which is something that the companies specifically choose which i don't always agree with so yeah. uh, i'm so going to add something i am add something to that alexander and it's a lesson that i learned recently and it's not criticism to nobody it's just something that i learned so i have been um yeah working with hr and recruiters, so internal recruiters, external recruiters, like for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And it was recently because I had to yeah, attract two, two, two persons and that I really learned that, and I wasn't aware of that, is that in recruitment, also there, I don't believe anymore in the general recruitment. I really believe in no. specialized recruitment. It's not because you're great at attracting technical people that you're great at spotting sales talent. It's a, sure. it's also a science or an art there. It's yeah. really a specialization because um, yeah, and that's that's for me. Again, it's that's not. Where it's, it makes it's, a difference eh? because yeah. you can. You, there are very good internal recruiters, and the best way to go for in recruitment is if you were growth company SaaS or whatever company is to use a combination to use your internal recruiters for your business crucial vacancies that are always there you have to have a, a pool of candidates in that specific thing all the time say for instance you're an AI company you need data engineers all the time then you hire two recruiters that are specifically targeting these types of candidates all the time and if there are other vacancies that are I don't know, back office sales or finance, you use two, three specialized agencies, you hold them close to you, you pick one or two that you know, these are the ones that know our needs, uh, that can deliver on time and really know who we are and are good ambassadors. That combination is the golden combination. It's not, yeah. I always hear discussion internal versus external. Yeah. It's a combination of both that you need. We can do stuff that internal recruiters don't, uh, that are not good at, but internal recruiters, they only, they're only um, uh, ambassador for one company. So they won't be able to have lots of proactive conversations with people. And then they, they won't be able to understand one market very specifically. Uh, but external agencies do have that. Uh, and also what's a good thing is that an external agency also has another point of view on your company. Because I see certain companies that have been there if there's lots of management and hiring managers that have been more than 20 years, they have, they, they don't know what's going on in the market. They only see themselves. They only see your company and they're kind of like in an ivory tower above. And sometimes it's good that there's someone externally that is challenging them on what's actually happening in their company or what are people thinking about your company or what you actually need? Because we know what the market wants. You don't know what the market wants. You know what you want. So that's a pretty good, uh, I think and that's, that's one of the main advantages having an external agency look at you. Mm. 
Yeah, I fully, I fully agree because I my point of view used to be um, okay. There is just one hiring person. Okay, we need to add capacity. Like it's Sentia, it is like that. So we need to hire capacity, and or he or she uh, didn't find the right person. So it becomes like an, an, an a B plan, the the external recruiter, and then it shifted from from immediately the the hybrid model. And the situation I'm in right now, because they, I think we have four recruiters or something like that. Yeah, Peter, we're going to do an internal. But the thing that I really learned, it's it's really like you said. I mean, you have to go for your core. If it's like yeah. technical people, your core people do it yourself. But like salespeople, it's such an... Because I'm very picky about sales. I yeah. really know exactly what I want. But yeah. it's having that conversation now with you, with everybody can... And here is now like, okay, Alexander really understands how it works it's and it's not going to be like an, a box um how do you call that a box mover in terms of cvs in terms no, of sales but because because i really want that depth that you're now talking about yeah. eh? i want to feel no okay he knows what what he's talking about and, and that's the only, that way you, the only way you can do it is to be in contact with him all every day and to have a proactive network, almost a community type of mm. uh, network, which I think we're getting close to in, in having people are enjoying the fact that we're, that we are industry experts, that we know what their, what their, uh, not only what their role is about, but about what it takes to become uh, in your career and what steps do you really need to, to take. And we're here for the candidates to, to be there. Yeah. Each step of the way, hopefully. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, not not just yeah. This is a vacancy we have to fill out and no. goodbye. See you never again. You know we're going to follow you up during your complete life cycle of your no, career. It's, it's in our slogan. We 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 match ambitious sales professional with ambitious tech companies. So we start mm. with an ambition and we match with another ambition. So it's not just about filling in jobs. It's really about mm. knowing that company's ambitions where you work with. The CEO wants to reach some some place. And you know that the sales profession also wants to reach something. And if you can match these two together, then you have a bigger, then you have a match that's, I would say, a little bit more close-knit match than just uh, matching a vacancy with a person. It sounds like uh, the millionaire matchmaker, but then for salespeople. (laughs) (laughs) Alexander, I thank you for your passion, your time. It was really great and fun having you. And um, yeah. Thank you, and I wish you all the best and lots of success with Headlights. Okay, thank you. It was great uh, being here and talking to you. So, um, yeah, always help. Uh, welcome to give me a call. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's on Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.